It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. As COVID swept the world, it also swept the times. For some of my colleagues, it was mild. For others... It meant months in intensive care. And for a third group, including the foreign correspondent Jane Flanagan, it left them with symptoms that just wouldn't go away. But nor would Jane's curiosity. I think there's such a lack of accessible science around it that people who've been off work for a year or been ill for a year just will fall on any crumb of information. And now she's starting to get answers. It's a mixture of horror because you think oh my goodness me that's inside me but at the same time you think oh there's a good reason i'm not fully functioning because this is what's in my blood you're listening to stories of our times from the times and the sunday times i'm manveen rana today what causes long covid I'm Jane Flanagan, and I'm the Africa correspondent of The Times, and I'm based in South Africa. Jane, I remember you got COVID at at around the same time as I did last autumn. I think you were sort of a week ahead of me. What was your experience of it? It was back in August, so I think I was still sort of in the throes of it when I understood that you had it, and I I remember getting in touch, (laughs) didn't I, and saying, this isn't nothing, Manveen, you know, put your feet up. (laughs) And you were so right. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't want people to make the same mistake that I'd made. So it was my children who tested positive first in quick succession in August. At that point, South Africa was going through the third wave of infections, and that was the one driven by the Delta variant. South Africa hadn't really got very far with its vaccination program. It was much further behind the one in the UK. So I had my first jab just a few weeks before I was ill. I think looking back now, I really underestimated how rough it was going to be. And, you know, I'm someone who's always had really good health. And I think you do really take it for granted. I tried to keep on working, but I had a lot of symptoms. The headaches were absolutely debilitating. I had those too. They were blinding. The thickness of the head just meant you really were very low functioning. That's what I found. It was the shortness of breath, I think, that was the most panicking. And all of a sudden... You're battling for breath. It was really terrifying. I mean, compared to a lot of people, I didn't get to the point where I needed oxygen. But I think the thing about COVID is it's not like other illnesses. It's a really long and winding road to feeling better. 
That's so interesting. I mean, I had it around the same time. I, I was double jabbed, but I was still surprised by the severity, and that was the Delta wave. But I found the same thing when I was getting better. It's not like, you know, people keep saying it's just like flu, and it's it's not, because it's not like anything you've experienced before, and it's not linear. You know, it's not that you progressively get better. Sometimes you feel like you're getting better, and then suddenly it, it gets a lot worse again. Entirely, and I think a doctor said to me, you know, make no plans for three months. God, it sounded like a long time. Well, Jane, I, I feel like I was quite lucky in that when I did get better, you know, by, by about a month later, I think it was completely gone. What about you? I mean, it's six months on. What have these six months been like? I think if I compare now to how I was in June last year or January last June, yeah, I do so much less. My energy levels aren't what they were. I have a full-time job, a very demanding job, so I I realise what I do every day is I'm triaging my time because I have to prioritise my family, I have to prioritise my work. You know, I'm sort of a bit like an old mobile phone battery, really. My battery runs down very quickly and it's quite sluggish to charge. So it's like that. I think I know a lot more about long COVID now than I did before, but I know there's like 150 symptoms or something, but certainly what they call brain fog is definitely one that very few people don't report. So the energy levels... Just tell us, for people who haven't experienced it, what that feels like. Well, I think for someone like me, you could really cope with doing a lot of things at the same time. I can't do that anymore. I have to write everything down. So when I speak to my editors in the morning about my story ideas... I have to make really good notes. Or if I have a thought, I have to record it because I certainly won't remember it by the time I get home. When you work in news and you do have fast turnaround times for deadlines, it's not it's not ideal if you feel like your concentration isn't what used to be. I'll be sitting at my desk and I'm like, oh, what did I sit down here to do? Or I'll find myself mm. in the garden watering the plants and thinking, I don't remember getting here or what was I supposed <laughs> to be doing? And has that got any better? over the six months? I think you just learn to manage it, don't you, by giving your brain just what it can cope with. And people have reported a vast array of symptoms. For you, has it mainly been the brain fog or have there been other symptoms? No, I, I get inflammation in my lungs, which is really an uncomfortable feeling, and the fatigue. I think the fatigue and the brain fog, they're the things I have to hope are going to get better. And I'm certainly giving myself the best chance of doing that by taking extra good care of myself. And Jane, in a brilliantly journalistic way, I know you've gone and found some answers, or you've certainly gone in search of them. I mean, tell me a bit about that. What prompted you to do it? And how did you find out more? Because long COVID is something that's being talked about a lot, but there's so little that seems to be known about it. Just reading the news in South Africa, I've seen a particular research professor called Risha Pretorius. Her name is mentioned because she's done some really interesting blood analysis at her lab at Stellenbosch University outside Cape Town. She was appealing for people to come forward and have their blood taken and analysed. So I decided, having read about her for many months, that maybe Mm. I'll go and see if she'd like to look at my blood. Why not? I mean, it's very rare for me to go and interview people and also be a research subject myself, but I I thought it would be a really interesting experience. It's just now getting easier. 
emails. I don't know how many emails. I'm are. sure because people are looking for solutions. They're not They're getting any results from, from regular lab tests. Doctors are saying a bit of yoga, meditate, gentle walking. And people's lives are on hold, aren't they? Especially yeah, these children. Absolutely on hold. Absolutely. We need to get the diagnosis done. And Demi, tell us a bit about her. So she's the head of physiological sciences at Stellenbosch University. One of her particular areas of expertise is the use of the microscope, microscopy, and what the blood looks like with particular diseases. And what she had discovered is that the microclotting, the blood microclotting that you get in acute COVID patients is also seen in patients with long COVID symptoms. The clots that you get through being ill, they don't disappear naturally as they would in a healthy person. And this, she says, accounts for the way that people feel. So you've got microclots in your That's blood. That's so interesting because I hadn't realised, you know, that clotting was one of the symptoms of COVID at all. I, I sort of identify it in this way. If you go to a normal lab where they look at your blood, it's a bit like going to a crime scene where you use a regular torch and you don't see anything. What Risha hmm. Pretorius does is she uses a fluorescence microscope. And it's the fluorescence microscope that picks up the microclots in the blood. In the same way that those CSI detectives go to a crime scene and they shine a different kind of light and all of a sudden you see the blood spatters up the wall that the regular torch didn't pick yes. up. Patients come into the doctor, they go to the pathology lab and they run the normal blood test. So the normal pathology um, tests don't pick up the clots or this platelet clumps that's in the blood and everything it looks normal. Um, a lot of patients have said that the doctors say that, oh no, it's something that's in your mind, it's a psychological thing. And a lot of patients are very desperate then to find out because they know they're sick and then the doctor tells them that everything is normal. With these clots that we see, we can then give them an answer to why they are feeling bad and that what is missed by and the normal pathology um, labs. I mean, that, that sounds fascinating. And so simple. So I went to see her with two small samples of blood and I took it to her lab at Stellenbosch University. So um, now we're going to put the blood, the whole blood, side tubes, um, into the centrifuge. The blood so is spun for 15 minutes to separate the dark red blood cells from the plasma. So it sounds like my blood has been spun? Yes. So as you can see now, oh wow. It's in three different... Looks um, like a cocktail. It's sort of red at the bottom and... Yellow at the top. And, and the yellow at the top. So the yellow at the top is the plasma. And then so special dye is added to cling to anything that's in the sample that shouldn't be there. And then they light up. Um, so yeah. You see them in the blood, do you? We see that in the blood. One problem that if they clump together, these platelets can then go and sit in small um, blood uh, vessels and of course have problems in the lungs or if, if they get to the brain, you can get problems like stroke or something like that as well. So that is why it's important to try to get rid of these clots so that that type of thing doesn't happen. And what happened when she tested yours? So for the first two slides, she really didn't seem very much at all. She looked at that and she said, oh, well, that would look like a control sample. Any, actually. You look like a very good control, I would say. 
That's what I would expect to see in a healthy person. And I think it was by the time she got to the third slide, there was a big, looked like a big green chili pepper lit up on the screen. And she said, well, that's a microclot. And here I do see that. Quite a big area of of clot formation. Is it? That's the sort of clotting that we see in people with long COVID symptoms. But if if there's a clot that big, if there's a clot that big in this tiny, tiny sample, you would imagine maybe that there are a few other ones like yes, that? Yes, there could be. And accumulatively? Accumulatively, it can cause havoc. Havoc? <laughs> I don't like that word. <laughs> That's not ideal. That's not ideal. It's not ideal to have that. The other thing she saw was this debris. This is damage that's done in your vascular system by these clots that sort of ping ball around your system, knocking bits of vessel around, and they get scoured off a bit like, you know, a potato peeling as the microclot comes up against your vessels. Um, so there you can, this looks like a bit, bit of cellular entity in your bloodstream. Can you just explain what a cellular entity C- is? Cellular or? debris. So if you look at that, quite extensive there's the end of it. So a bit of debris, what a bit of something that's broken off? Mm-hmm. Break, broken mm-hmm. off from the inside of your blood vessel, sloughing off. And off. you know, once you see that picture, Manveen, then you can understand why you would have a headache, like you drunk three bottles of really rough red wine, because microclots, I mean they get trapped in your capillaries. They stop your red blood cells getting to the tissues and giving oxygen. So I'm not getting enough oxygen? You're not getting enough oxygen to the cells and you're actually in a state of permanent hypoxia. Your cells aren't getting the oxygen they need. It made absolutely perfect sense. I was observing a couple of other people having their blood analysed, the blood of two children, actually. So ahead of me, having their blood analysed, are two samples from some children, teenagers, who've been experiencing long COVID symptoms for absolutely months, maybe a year or more. And relatives have brought blood samples to Dr Pretorius. They've both been heavily tested by other doctors and so far have no information about why they would be ill. They were much more serious than me and it was awful. I mean, their clots were on every slide and these poor children had horrendous symptoms. I saw a lot of relief on the faces of those parents because they finally had an answer. And so, Jane, what happens next? I mean, now that you know what's going on inside your body, what can you do about it? What can you do about about these microclots? Well, I have to say, Dr Pretorius, she's not a medical doctor, she's a researcher. She can show you the picture of what's going on, but she can't do anything to treat you. This is really very early research. And in terms of doing anything about the clots, there's a doctor in South Africa at the moment trying patients on blood thinning medicine and anticoagulants to try and dissolve them and flush them away. But this is not something that people should be doing on their own. This is why more research is needed. But also I understand that the long-term damage is real in people Mm. because, you know, the longer people go without this being addressed in them, I think their long-term prospects of feeling really 100% are diminished. I am trying to uh, look after myself as well as possible and really hoping perhaps that my own body will in time be capable of 
dealing with them quite naturally because dealing with clots is something that the body is wired to do. But certainly this is significant research. And I think also we can put to bed this argument that some people have that long COVID is a psychological illness. It's a physiological problem. Within 45 minutes, you were able to show me a picture of why some days I'm just really low functioning. Exactly. That is, is such an easy method. We just simply look at what is right in front of us. That's all we do. How significant do you think this is? If, if more people were doing this kind of analysis, what difference would it make to long COVID? Because let's face it, that's going to be a huge problem, isn't it? It is a huge it problem. It is a huge problem. There's 100 million people suffering of long, from long COVID. That's probably only the tip of the iceberg. That's people who have been somehow diagnosed or know that they've got long COVID. We're not even thinking about the millions of people in Africa, in South America, that doesn't have access to any medical systems that can tell them we've got long COVID. We don't even know what the extent will be. It will be one of the biggest failures of our modern time. And the scariest part of me is that nobody seems to worry or care. Is that because we're still dealing with the actual pandemic and we're not quite ready to look at the aftermath because everyone's still putting out the fires of COVID? I think that is one of the issues. There's a whole bunch of people that are not so sick, that do not get to hospitals or don't need a hospital. So the hospitals and the governments are dealing with the very, very sick people. I think they're thinking, well, let us not worry now too much about the people that are not so sick. But now in the aftermath, we have all of these patients that weren't so sick struggling with symptoms for two, three months afterwards with no way to get diagnosed even. I mean, the research that you've sort of ended up being a part of just sounds like it could provide answers for so many people. Why do you think we haven't heard so much about it here? Do you want my frank answer on that, Manvi? <laughs> yeah. Because it's come from Africa? Because it's come from a woman? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. There's plenty of there's plenty of there's plenty of British doctors who you know who are, who are she's working with now. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Perhaps that's a, that's probably very controversial. When I spoke to her, I just really heard that she thinks that the clock is ticking and that the problem is the whole developed world, in a way, is so preoccupied with putting out the fires of COVID that it would take someone like her, who's not in the front line of that, to just be quietly getting on and, and doing the research. It's going to be a huge issue for all economies, for all people who want their full lives back. I'm back in my car now after my time with Dr Pretorius and feeling quite mixed about things. Um, reassured really that there is an explanation now for the way that I've been feeling. But Dr. Pretorius can't help me anymore now. I've got to go and see somebody else who's doing work with non-COVID patients to try and break down some of those clots, repair some of the damage, make them feel a bit stronger. And so I've got to start all over again and see if I can get an appointment with him and really just see if, if there's anything he can do for me. I want the life I used to have. I don't want to forget how active I used to be, how much more energy I had, how much more I got out of life. 
In a moment, we'll hear from the Times science editor, Tom Whipple, with a big picture on long COVID research. But first... I'm Mariella Frostrup, and every day on my show on Times Radio, we speak to some of the biggest names in the world of the arts, culture and politics. We bring you discussions about new social trends and all the latest news, views and interviews. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Long COVID might feel like a new problem, but we're far from the first society to go through something similar. My name is Tom Whipple, and I'm the science editor at The Times. Tom, you've been writing recently uh, a fascinating piece looking at sort of some of the history of illnesses. Tell us the story of Dr. Thomas Dowes. I came across Thomas Dowes. He was a doctor who wrote scientific um, papers in the 19th century. And I think your latitude for the use of language in a scientific paper in the 19th century is a lot more than nowadays. So they're absolutely beautifully written. He was writing about the aftermath of the Russian influenza pandemic of the very late 19th century, sort of the 1890s, early 1890s. We now think it likely, although we just don't know, that this was actually a coronavirus rather than oh, really? an influenza. But it was it was big. It swept the world in much the same way as our current coronavirus pandemic. The Times, I have to say was moderately corona-sceptic about this one. We had reports from our Moscow correspondent who suggested that probably what we were seeing was just related to the hygienic practices of the Russians. Um, but then he Ooh. caught it, and suddenly the Times was very much on board with the fact that there was a, a pandemic going on. So my predecessor didn't, didn't shower himself in glory. But 
Um, We've learned over the years. We, we, we have. <laughs> having learned that lesson, we were very much on board from the beginning that this was a serious pandemic. Um, Thomas Dowles, he, he was a doctor at the time, and he obviously saw these patients come in with respiratory problems. But afterwards, he started writing about a different kind of patient. And he wrote, I'll read out some of the things he wrote. He says, Nature is unnatural to such beings, and their very bodily gait and countenance and movements are the outward exponents of the sluggish molecular processes of the wearied soul within. And then he's got a lovely phrase. This sense of gloom and dejection is a conscious living entity as sad as Hades, where joy and tranquility and peace and love are unknown. And, and then he finally got on to the absolutely the worst bit. Some of his gentleman clients were, were feeling it so badly that they weren't even able to play a decent game of billiards. <laughs> So scientific journals have definitely changed. <laughs> they, 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 they have, and I, I feel we've lost something. But that's that's maybe that's maybe for 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 a different occasion. But this but is that collection of rather poetic symptoms. Is that sort of in the aftermath of of the Russian influenza? Is that effectively long Russian flu? Yeah, and I think a lot of people would uh, take away the flowery language. I think a lot of people would, would recognise it now. It's extreme fatigue, it's depression, it's, it's lassitude. It's, you know, it's, it's all of these things that we associate with long COVID. And of course, this is far from the only example of this. After the Spanish flu epidemic, there's this uh, amazing story that in, in Tanzania, they had a famine called the Famine of the Corms. And the reason for this famine, at least from what we hear coming through from the time, was that it wasn't that there was any failure of the rains or anything. It was that people in 1919 in Tanzania were just so wearied by the pandemic that they didn't plant enough. And wow. this was the consequence. That's what happens when an entire nation gets sick at the same time. So it's it's mass societal long illness, effectively. Yeah, and you know the, these are, these are the things that we group as post viral symptoms, and the truth is we have a sketchy getting better, but sketchy understanding of what's going on, and there's all sorts of things going on. Inevitably, there are. I mean, just just spell it out for us. What exactly is long COVID, as far as we know, as things stand? Well. It, in terms of the definition used by the Office of National Statistics, long COVID is symptoms of COVID that have persisted beyond four weeks, which, as you can see, catches a lot of people. And mm. indeed, it does. By that estimate, we're looking at about 1.3 million people in the UK with long COVID, which is an absolutely vast number. Now, that's yeah. persisting after four weeks. Some of them are mild. But nevertheless, I, I think we might well see a pivot now where... We stop talking about infections so much, but start talking about the legacy of this and the people who are quite clearly, and I suspect people listening to this, everyone will know someone mm. who it's not just they haven't recovered, it's that they're in really quite a bad way because of it. And this is not a surprise. This is not at all a surprise to doctors. The question is what we do about it and and partly how we, how we diagnose it. There's a study on professional footballers, which measured how many passes they did in a game. And it found that if you've been infected, and this is a fit cohort who, who aren't saying they've got long COVID, mm. but it found that six months later, you could see a measurable decline in performance amongst the players who have been infected. So, you know, there, wow. there is definitely something happening. And if you then imagine that an entire nation has been infected, that's, that's quite a hit on productivity, if nothing yes. else. 
Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's really interesting that with the footballers, they didn't even think they had long COVID. You know, that could be a lot of us. Yeah, yeah, of course. So I spoke to Danny Altman, who's a immunologist at the Imperial College, and he said, look, this is, this is exactly what we expect. A new virus has chucked a hand grenade into our immune systems, and we're not sure yet what the fallout is. Tom, in your piece, and uh, the last time we spoke to you on the podcast, in fact, you mentioned that long COVID as a term has sort of become a Rorschach test. I mean, explain why. If you're on different wings, and I think now you can say that everything everything becomes political and COVID has long been political. If you're on the wing that would be characterised as open up, let it rip, you point to the sort of general fear about long COVID as being basically the last redoubt of the lockdown, pro-lockdown, you know, nanny state. I mean, we've now... Through vaccines, through treatments, through antivirals, slash the fatality rate of this ten, tenfold, the imperative to control it on the basis of keeping hospitals going is probably gone. So now if you're one of those real sort of, you know, indie sage pro-lockdown, as you, your last redoubt to say, well, look, yeah, you, you, you let it rip and fine, we might not be all dying, but what is the long-term consequences of this in mm. terms of long COVID? So, so there, one, one side is accused of scaremongering and the other side is just accused of ignoring this, this very real problem. And I guess, I mean, how, how do you mediate between the two? I mean, part of the problem is whichever is true in terms of policy options we don't have many left and it looks like we are all going to get covid yeah so kind already of had it. yeah or or <laughs> there, there are two groups in the country there are people who've had covid or people who are going to have covid so mm. it it's slightly moot whether it's being used now for political objectives because it, it's it's clearly not stopping the spread of the virus so now i guess we just have to really sit down and assess well what does this mean One of our colleagues, Jane Flanagan, she is still experiencing some symptoms of long COVID. And she's been taking part in this very interesting study in in South Africa with Dr. Pretorius. Tell us a bit about the science underpinning all of this. One of the things that happens when you say you have long COVID is you go to a doctor and sometimes the doctor will take a blood test. And we have this idea that it's a bit like sticking something in that sort of Star Trek transducer or whatever it's called. You, you you have your blood test and it tells you what's wrong and that's it. Now, actually, blood is an incredibly complex liquid containing all sorts of things. And in general, unless you know what you're looking for, mm. you're probably not going to see it. Dr. Pretorius is interesting and her colleagues because... They're not even looking at the chemicals in the blood. They're looking at the structure of the blood. They've identified these microclots where it looks like something, a protein has stopped the clots from dispersing. And there's something that, that's caused them to sort of misform. And you've got these tiny clots, which of course wouldn't come up on these chemical tests. Mm. You, you know that there's, there's clots in blood. So what? But when you know what you're looking for. I mean, it's quite neat in explaining just the array of symptoms too, isn't it? You know, it's very hard to sort of just look at your lungs when you're also getting brain fog, but this this sort of fits a lot of that. It does, it does, and it's a, it's a, look, it's a fascinating hypothesis. They've got some great data behind it. There's a lot of people looking at a lot of things, of which this is one of them. It's certainly a fascinating idea and explains quite a lot. So this is a, a really important new theory that's sort of emerging. Tell us a bit about some of the others, because you're right. You know, we've, one thing we've learned about COVID is that the science is quite piecemeal. 
Yeah, there was a study um, in the UK which followed people who were hospitalised and they tried to group people into different clusters based on severity. And there they found these biomarkers, these different signs of inflammation in the body, signs that you might still be fighting the infection. You know, the virus might hang around at undetectable levels and still be causing problems. And this could explain, for instance, why when people get vaccinated, sometimes they seem to improve. So there's all of these ideas and there's we're finding out about lots of other things that other viruses do, which can point to just how complex these associations should be. For instance, just this month, we've had some pretty strong, some would say slam dunk evidence that MS is caused by Epstein-Barr virus, which is something almost all of us end up getting and we just don't bother dealing with. But in some people, it seems to go wrong and cause MS. And, you know, I mean, there's other things that viruses that hang around, we just don't notice it. You know, the the great example is HPV virus, which causes cervical cancer. And it turns out a, a simple vaccine against that can almost entirely stop cervical cancer. So there's we're exposed to all of these viruses and within the complexity of our bodies, it's often hard to spot the mechanistic thing. It's very likely, though, as I say, with long COVID, there's lots of different things. Tom, as you said, it does feel like we're starting to talk a little bit less about infections and more about living with COVID. So we thought it might be a good idea to go back to some of the questions we had at the start of the pandemic that we haven't really talked about for a while. One of the things that we were told was that even if you were asymptomatic, if you had COVID and it really wasn't very bad, there might still be lasting effects. You know, there were people saying there was still scarring on your lungs. Is that now known to be true? And, you know, are you just as likely to get long COVID, for example, if you haven't actually had COVID very badly? I wouldn't say just as likely, but there doesn't seem to be an incredibly strong link between severity and and risk of long COVID. But what I'd say, caveating that, is far and away the best evidence we have is in people who have had it more severe because they're the ones who are in hospitals who we've really good data on and we follow up really well. So it's very fuzzy in other groups. There is quite nice evidence now, certainly growing evidence, that having been vaccinated seems to prevent a lot of long COVID, which might imply as well that severity has that link One of the other questions at the start of the pandemic was, you know, we weren't sure if COVID would affect children at all. We now know it does in in some form. Do we think they're just as susceptible to get long COVID? There was a study out which people had various methodological problems with, but there's always methodological problems. But for what it was worth, it seemed to show in quite a large cohort of children that there was quite a low risk of long COVID. The blood study looks fascinating. I know some studies are looking at lungs in particular. In addition to that, though, I mean, what are what are the the solutions? What what? How do we fix this for the future? How do we stop ourselves from becoming like the society in Tanzania with the the the, the famine? How, how do we so I, help such I, I a huge group of people? Part of the thing is, you know, it's a novel virus and it's a novel condition, and we know that. Chikungunya virus does one thing and needs to, you know, various autoimmune things. We know that Epstein-Barr does another thing and needs to MS. Now, it doesn't seem we've got anything like as bad as that, but it's going to be doing its own thing. And and hopefully, actually, we'll get to the bottom of it and be able to solve all sorts of other things with it. Hopefully, we'll certainly keep you updated. 
You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, The Times Africa correspondent, Jane Flanagan, and The Times science editor, Tom Whipple. You can find all of Jane and Tom's reporting at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. The producer today was James Shield. The executive producer is Kate Ford. And sound design was by David Crackles. If you'd like to get in touch with us with any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then please do drop us a line to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. And if you enjoyed this episode, if it was at all helpful, please do leave us a review. It'll help others to find it. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.